Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. I want to tell you something this morning. I am convinced that if you and I would be willing to slow down, we would hear that God is continually speaking to our hearts. I'm convinced that if we would slow down and not run so fast and just listen, we would find that God is continually speaking to our hearts. He's not just speaking to our hearts. He's speaking in the unique language that he created us to hear from him. I had something happen this week where I was running early to a meeting, which is a beautiful thing when that happens, right? I stopped at the gas station, pulled into the spot, and I just had a minute to breathe. And when I breathed in, all of a sudden I looked out my window and I saw something, a sight I've seen many times, but I don't know if you've ever had a sight that you could only call a prophetic sight. You see it and you're like, that's saying something right now. And I saw this propane tank filling station next to me. And for whatever reason, I stopped and went, oh, there's something that I'm drawn to there. And I started looking at this, and this is what I saw. I saw, if you, if you look behind the cage here, behind the sign, what you'll see is there are a ton of propane tanks, shoulder to shoulder, right next to each other, and all of them are completely filled. Their contents under pressure. They're, they're literally filled with fire, so to speak. They're ready to go. And yet, there's something in this structure around them that is holding them back. They're there. They're full of fire but they're caged. And I have to tell you, and this morning when I was running early to the meeting, I went, gosh, there's many days that feels like me. Full of fire. But something's holding back. And then I thought about God's church, and I thought, gosh, is that not us? We've got many saints, and according to what Scripture tells us, if you've received the Holy Spirit, then the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and breathing in you and me. And if you just look even around this room, not to mention the people joining us online, goodness gracious, the same Spirit of God, we're filled with fire. We're contents under pressure. But when we look at the church in our cities, we find there's often something that's holding us back from transformation pouring out into the streets. With that kind of fire, why are we not seeing a mass move of the lost being found, of the sick being healed, of marriages being restored as the norm of depression fleeing, and of the presence of Jesus filling our streets? We've got fire, but all too often it's caged. And as I sat this morning, the Lord began to say something to me. He said, for a lot of us, the reason the fire's not filling the streets is because our tanks are empty. We're living our lives worn out. We're not thinking about being a light in the dark. We're just thinking about struggling through the darkness for ourselves another day. And it was at this point that this sign became prophetic because right next to it, if you can go back to that sign of the uh, propane tank for just a second, it had this statement next to it that you can't quite see, but it says, steps to exchange your tank. And I said, oh, I got it. We're empty. What are we going to do? And here's what it said. You're going to never hear a more prophetic message than this one. Number one, leave your empty tank here. Number two, go inside the store and pay. Number three, return with an authorized representative to pick up your tank and go. And the Holy Spirit said this. He said, listen, I'm the filler of the tank. I've given my spirit without measure. I've already paid the price, and I am the authorized agent to unlock it. Here's your job. You just need to bring your empty tank and leave it here. 
Somebody you want fire to pour into the streets. Listen, that's a prophetic word for someone this morning. Because of everything else that I'm going to say about structure, the real issue right now is that you're running and your tank is empty and you have a good heart and there's no shame on you. It's only shame off you in Jesus' name. But if you're running empty right now, I want to remind you, you're not your own savior. You can't pay to fill your tank. You already have an authorized agent that's ready. You just need to listen. If that's you right now, international sign of surrender, both hands in the air. You just say, okay, God, I'm running empty and I'm asking you to come and fill me. I leave my empty tank here. That's the word that somebody needs this morning. Somebody this morning, that's you, and you would just say boldly right now, man, I'm empty. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. I leave my tank here. So here's what I'm going to do. I don't want to move past this moment. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just a minute. I don't want you distracted by anything else, because here's the deal. If we're running empty, then you're not going to be able to hear anything else that I'm going to say. If that's you right now, what I'm going to ask, international sign of surrender, both hands in the air, nobody else is looking at you. You say, I'm empty. I'm running. I'm doing the best that I know how. I'm trying to love my spouse. I'm trying to work at my job. I'm trying to take care of my kids. I'm trying to do the work in school. I'm trying, but I'm empty, and I just need you to come fill me again. I just need to stop in this moment and remember, you paid it all. All I'm going to ask you to do is just lift both of your hands in the air to say, Jesus, I surrender. Here I am. I surrender. And I believe this is somebody in the room right now. Thank you, Lord. Here I am. I surrender. I'm leaving my empty tank here. I'm not going to figure it out. I'm not going to ask another question. I'm not going to set another to-do list. Because to do so would be to believe that we're in partnership in this saving my soul thing. And you've done all the work. All I need to do is leave my empty tank here. So I leave it. So Holy Spirit, in agreement right now, I just ask that you would come and you would fill us up. I want to tell you, if you came in and you feel like, man, I feel about three quarters filled. Don't leave here three quarters full in Jesus' name. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead wants to come in you. Would you right now in your seat go, Jesus, fill me up all over again? Would you just come fill me? Oh, God, you're good. We receive it from you. If you agree, say amen. 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 Now, that was great. And I thought, wow, what a great prophetic word. What a personal encouragement to my heart. But God continued. He said, you know, there's a second barrier that keeps the fire contained. It's not just you having a personal filling with the Holy Spirit. I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, sometimes the structure and the pace and the vision of the lives that we've built, the frame, is so busy with our work and our family activities and our Christian friends and our Christian ministry and our sanitized worlds that we aren't leaving the cage with our hearts and our presence into the world. Either we're living in sanitized Christian circles with people who are already here and shoulder to shoulder going, isn't it great to be filled? And we talk all about being fire, but we're never getting out into the world. Or we're in the place where we're out in the darkness all the time, but we're not walking in the depth of community. And so all we see is darkness around us. And we're going, gosh, I want to be a light, but I feel like a flicker here. And we need to walk together and allow God to rebuild the structure of our lives. So that, yes, we would walk in Christian community, but that community would not stay in the cage and we'd get out. And to that point, I want to press in a little bit this morning because we've been in this series talking about the structure of the church that Jesus wants to build. We've talked over these weeks about how God himself has come and Jesus chose to plant every shade of Jesus on the earth by giving these five tangible gifts to us. They're gifts of grace. They're manifestations of the love and power and presence of God. And listen, if the Holy Spirit's in you, all five of these are in you. And what Jesus wants is for them to become full in you and to mature so that they spill out of you and spill out of me onto the streets. The scripture we've been looking at is Ephesians chapter 4, and this is what it says. It says, "Christ Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers... To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we're about halfway through these five graces. This is the third of five that we're looking at today. But what we've been sharing is this, that apostolic grace matures you in health. Prophetic grace roots you in holiness. Evangelistic grace, which we're going to talk about today, anchors you in hope. Shepherding grace gives you a home. And teaching grace stirs you with hunger. And God wants all of these to mature up in us as we go together so he can fling wide open the gates and we can go and bring hope into our cities. And so what we said we were going to do is this. With each of these five graces, 
We said there's five questions that we're going to ask to activate them today so that we would be like Margot and not like God. And as we look at these five, I just want to kick right in. I want to ask the first question. The first question I want to ask this morning is this. Why do we need evangelistic grace and what are its defining marks? Why do we need evangelistic grace and what are its defining marks? And I want to very quickly move us past churchy language that if you're like evangelistic, what you just use two church words back to back. What does that mean? Well, I want to define it for you. Evangelistic grace anchors you in hope as you adopt a lifestyle that gathers hearts to Jesus and as you watch God ignite their faith. Let me say that again so you get it. What does evangelistic grace do in our lives? Evangelistic grace anchors you in hope. Would anybody like hope this morning? Would anybody like to feel anchored this morning and not blown about the sea by all the dumb things that are happening around us and sometimes within us? Yes? Okay, evangelistic grace anchors you in hope. Hallelujah. How? As you adopt a lifestyle that gathers hearts to Jesus and watch God ignite their faith. Now, this word evangelistic, the reason that we use it is because it shows up a whole lot in the Scripture. In fact, there's three different words that show up in the Bible that are all forms of the same word. The first word is euangelion. It means good news. It's where we get our word gospel. Every time you hear the word gospel, you're hearing euangelion, right? You're hearing evangelism, good news. Second word, euangelizo, means to bring or announce good news, to declare the gospel. And then the last form of this word, euangelistes, means a bringer of good news, an evangelist. And I want to let you know that in all, there are 133 references in the Bible to us being carriers Of the gospel. So when we show up and go, I'm not an evangelist, the Bible on 133 occasions says if you're a follower of Christ, you're wrong. In fact, I'll go further and tell you when you look through the New Testament, evangelism is the foundational Christian activity. What do I mean? I mean, it is what the Bible points to being most natural and normal as your outflow of intimacy with Jesus. If you're filling your tank, then according to Scripture, this is supposed to be the most natural fruit that pours out. And if you're in Christ, anybody in the room in Christ? If you're in Christ, then all of us, say all. All All of us carry it. Some of us, say some. Some are really natural in this. It's easy. It's effortless. And what God wants to do, if that's you this morning, is he wants to position you in the body to elevate all of us. How do you know if you walk strong in evangelistic grace? I'm going to say evangelistic grace, they're passionate about two things. They're passionate about good news, and they're passionate about people, and they desperately want to unite those two together. They love people, they love good news, and man, they want to bring people to good news, and they want to bring good news to people. They're good news points of contact. Now, when we talk about evangelism, what I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about memorizing a presentation I'm not talking about awkwardly forcing Jesus into conversations where he's not naturally headed there. And I'm not talking about handing out gospel tracts or some other thing, though evangelists may have resources they find useful. When I talk about evangelism, I'm talking about a heartbeat within to embody good news and to intentionally position one's life so that other people would embody good news. So the evangelistic anointing for us is this. Say, God wants this for me. Great. Now we're going to say it again. You're going to say it like you're actually excited. God wants this for me. me. We're halfway there. I want you to say this excited because this is good news. I want you to say, God wants this for me. Yay. Okay. You guys are like, he's going to keep doing it, so I'm going to say it. (laughs) Go back one here. Evangelistic anointing is this. It's to unearth your natural voice to share the hope you found in Jesus and to become confident and intentional to share it everywhere. What's the evangelistic anointing? The evangelistic anointing is to unearth your natural voice. Would anybody like to be able to talk about Jesus in a way that doesn't feel like you're being a weird alien all of a sudden? Would anybody be, I'd love to be passionate about Jesus and not overly a weirdo when I try to do it. I'd love to be able to talk passionately about Jesus like I talk passionately about anything else that I'm excited about. The evangelistic anointing is about unlocking your natural voice, which, by the way, God's never made your voice in another person. You can be inspired by all kinds of people, but don't mimic anybody other than Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. We're looking after him. We want to unearth your natural voice. Why? So that you can share the hope you found in Jesus and become confident and intentional, find you're sharing it everywhere. 
What are three marks of this? I want to help identify if this is you today. And by the way, it's in all of us, but some of us are very strong. Three defining marks of evangelistic grace. Number one, you have an urgency and contagious passion for the lost being found. This is Mark chapter 16 in the Amplified Bible, right after Jesus is raised from the dead. And he says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news, the gospel to every creature. Who? To the whole human race. Evangelistic grace is like a love virus. These are people who are highly contagious for Jesus, and if you get near them, you're going to get infected. You're going to get it. You're going to catch it, and what you're going to find for them is it's not casual. It's all-consuming. Second mark of evangelistic grace is this. It's a burning heart for the least, the lost, the last, the lonely, and the lepers of society. When you look at evangelistic grace at work, what does it look like? It looks like going into dark places as light. This is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He stands in the temple and he unrolls a scroll and he reads this, which is his life verse, and it comes right from Isaiah. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. There's that word to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When you get near somebody who understands evangelistic grace, you're going to find this. They're adamant that no one is too far from grace. In fact, they're adamant that far from God is only a construct you have invented in your head. There's no such thing. Because he's already come and fully paid the price. He already loves you with everything that he has. And so what they want to do is they want to go to all to proclaim, it's the year of the Lord's favor. They're like spiritual Oprah. You get favor, and you get favor, and you get favor. But they especially love those who've been disenfranchised, overlooked, and forgotten. And they get especially tense when the church talks about righteousness, but stays within our cages and won't go into the dark places to carry the hope that we found. They love the lost, the least, the last, the lonely, the leper, and they desperately want to go to them. Third mark of evangelistic grace is this. They have a deep desire to go, plant a needed seed, and then go to the next field. Go, plant, go. See, Paul writes to Timothy. It's the last letter the Apostle Paul would ever write to his spiritual son. He says this. He says, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, it's interesting because this word discharge, it means to give your ministry away. It literally means to accomplish the goal, to get your work done so that your hands would be free for the next job. It's go, plant, go. In the book of Acts, it talks about Philip being an evangelist. Philip, one of the followers of Jesus. And there's this story about Philip the evangelist in Acts chapter 8, which is an evangelist dream. And this is the way the story goes. Philip is worshiping one day, and he's hearing from the Lord. He's putting on his Maverick City CD. It's, it's awesome, right? He's just taking it in, and all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him that he needs to leave where he's at and go to a desolate road in the desert. And it seems illogical to Philip to leave this place that is teeming with life and to go to a road in the desert, but he obeys. I want to give a side note to us that sometimes I think we fail to experience the blessings and breakthroughs that God has for us because we're trusting what makes sense to us more than the seeming desert that God is calling us to. But Philip stopped in this moment and he obeyed. And sure enough, he got out and suddenly he found there was an Ethiopian on the road. Now this Ethiopian, he was a foreigner. He was one that everybody would have said, he's one of those L's. He's one of the last or the lost or the least. He's one that God would overlook. But Philip sees and he knows better because he's an evangelist. And he goes, there's an Ethiopian on a road, but it gets better. He's in a chariot. And as he gets close, he can hear of all things this foreigner is reading. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, which I just quoted a minute ago, right at the part where it's talking about the savior of the world that's going to come. And he's reading out loud. And Philip's like, are you kidding me? So he runs over to the chariot and he says, sir, do you know what this is that you're reading? And the guy answers and he says, well, how can I know unless there would be someone here to explain it to me? And Philip's like, what? I'm on a road in the desert and there's an Ethiopian here and he's reading the scripture and he doesn't know it. And he's like, can somebody tell me? And he's like, um, yes, I can. And so Philip steps in and he begins to preach the gospel. And it says that this Ethiopian responded in faith. And as they were going down the road, suddenly he says, well, hey, I know the next thing I need to do is to get baptized. 
So what do I need in order to get baptized? And he said, well, you know, we're in the middle of a desert, but, you know, the only thing you'd really need is water. And he goes, look, an oasis. And Philip's like, what? (laughs) And they look, and there are streams in the desert. Because God is always going to provide where God guides. And so they get out in the desert, and Philip baptizes him. And I want you to get the very next words. And if you're an evangelist, you're going to be like, that is me. That is the dream. You ready? So he's gone. He was called by the Lord, go into the desert, find this guy, share the gospel. He's baptized him. And listen, it says, Acts 8, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And then the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Do you see it? Philip's like, I got to go. I got to go into the desert. I'm going to plant. And then, poof, gone. And then he's in Azotus, and he's like, see ya on my way to Caesarea. Go plant, go. That's the life of an evangelist. So if you're strong in evangelistic grace, oh my gosh, you want to see the seed planted? You want to see it strong? And then you're like, you all set? You good? Got to go. Got to go. Go plant, go. Philip walked through what Paul was talking about when he said to discharge all your duties. He said, listen, what i got to do as an evangelist is i got to get my hands free of my responsibilities as soon as possible so they can be ready to go in the next field. Now, one more note I want to give you that I find fascinating. In 2 Timothy, that verse that I read, where Paul writes to his spiritual son Timothy to discharge all your duties and to do the work of an evangelist, actually church historians don't believe that Timothy was an evangelist. They believe that Timothy was either a teacher or a pastor by all the scriptures that we can see. But remember what we said. If the Holy Spirit is in you, all five of these graces are in you. So though Timothy was not an evangelist, Paul was telling him and reminding him that you're still called to do the work of an evangelist. See, I want to say for all of us today, we're called to do the work of all of the fivefold. And how do you know when it's time to do the work? When there's a need and you walk in the door, right? We're called to do the work of all five. But now here's the deal. For some of these, it's going to be effortless and pour out of you. So here's the question I need to ask. What happens in any setting if we don't have evangelistic grace? If evangelistic grace is not present in a church or in a community of people, what can we expect? And I'm going to tell you, it's one of two things. We will either become a club or we will become a cult. We will either become a club or we will become a cult. Become a club, it's like this. If there's no evangelistic grace, then our focus turns internal to the desires and comforts of Christians and away from the Great Commission. We become a social calendar for moral materialism instead of a thriving maternity ward. What do I mean by moral materialism? I mean, we're going to have all the rules of all the rights and all the wrongs, but what we're going to do is we're going to say we need to do all the rights and wrongs so that Jesus gives us stuff because having stuff is really the blessed life. When in reality, we've been called to be a maternity ward. What? To bring souls in and nurture them up to life, to go into the darkest places and to bring light. We're on a rescue mission, not a cruise ship with an all-you-can-eat buffet. And if we don't have evangelistic grace, we forget that. By the way, I'm going to tell you, if you're in any Christian community and suddenly you're having petty arguments about, well, you know, I've got to go to another church because... The pastor used to have it with his messages. He was preaching some really great ones, but now he's just not preaching it. Or, oh, the music's too loud. I'm going to say, I, th- I think you're missing evangelistic grace. Amen. And missing evangelistic grace is like cutting off your legs and trying to run a marathon. You're not going to get anywhere. That's one option that could happen. The other option is this. We don't become a club, but we become a cult. We add requirements of what is needed beyond the simple gospel that is neither simple nor gospel. And they become a barricade to the very people Jesus died to save. We see this in Acts chapter 15. Gentiles were getting saved and they came before the church. And there were all these Jewish people that were like, these Gentiles are screwing up our church. Because they don't follow the rules. And so they came to the apostles. They said, this is what needs to happen. If they're really serious, if they're really in, then they need to be circumcised like us. And they need to follow all of our traditions. And they need to eat all of our feasts. They need to essentially become Jewish in order to be in Christ. They wanted to add requirements. Thank God the apostles said, no, that's not the simple gospel. We've seen this more recently. If you saw the Jesus Revolution movie that that kind of chronicles the Jesus people movement, I'm just curious if anybody in the room here came to Jesus, came to faith through the Jesus people movement that passed. I just want to look around real quick. Anybody? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Man. That is amazing. And what happened in the, the Jesus people movement is you had a number of people that the people in the church would just call hippies. 
right? That started coming to Jesus in droves, but when they showed up at church, they showed up without shoes on, they showed up with their flowery shirts, some of them showed up high, right? And they're just like, I just, I just want Jesus. And there were a lot of people in the church saying no until, until you believe this, until you change your behavior, until you take this step, until you clean yourself up, until you wear some shoes, then you can't come into our church. And so listen, you may think that I'm, what I'm saying sounds harsh, to say, are you telling me that evangelistic grace, we become a cult? I just want to say this. Anytime you show up and tell people that they need certain behavior before they can have belonging, then you are adding to the gospel, and it is a different gospel, which is the very definition of a cult. See, evangelistic grace is what keeps our eyes on the true gospel, because sometimes what happens is we take really good counsel that would be called maturity. We take really good counsel that would be part of growing up, but we throw it on the gospel, and then we take people in darkness, and essentially what we're saying to them is, you've got to find a way to work all of this out in order for grace to save you. Instead of Jesus who shows up and says this, right? We say you've got to have, I heard this from David Spiker at South Bay, my dear brother across the way, ministering. He said what has happened with Phariseeism is we show up and we say that you've got to have the right behavior, and when you have the right behavior, then you'll come to the point where you believe. And if you come to believe, then you can belong. And he said, Jesus did it the opposite way. Jesus shows up and says, no, actually, what you need to know now and forever is you already belong. While you were my enemy, I died for you. My hands are wide open. You couldn't belong anymore. Now, here's the deal. When you begin to believe that you belong, things really start to change for you. And in time, I'm not really worried about it. Your behavior will follow. Why? Your treasure will be where your heart is. See, evangelists keep us focused on the gospel. That there is a God. He's in charge. We're not going to hell in a handbasket, whatever that means. <laughs> Why the devil needs a handbasket? Like the, like the witch from uh, the Wizard of Oz with a little basket on the, on the bike. I don't know, but we're not going there. There's a God. He adores us. He's fully paid the price for all sin. And he calls to the last, the lost, the lonely, the lepers, and the least. And he says, just come home. It's good news for older prodigal sons and younger prodigal sons. And it's evangelists that keep our eyes on this, that we're all invited home before our mess is clean. So here's the question I want to ask to activate it. Is evangelistic grace your primary grace function? Is this one, we said we all have it, but some of us are going to have it really strong. Now, there's a good indicator right now if you're fired up and you're like, this is the best message he's ever preached. It's probably you. When, when you get excited about the messages we preach, it tells me more about you than it tells you about me. It tells me what's lighting up in your heart. And so what we've encouraged everybody to do is this. On our website, myoverflowchurch.com, we've got a simple, it's just a tool, but it's a five-fold test that will help you see just some of the natural ways you see the world. It's just resting rhythms of your passions. I want to give you real quick, and I've said this throughout, I want to remind you there's just five other ways that you can know if this is it. One would be your passion. If what I'm about to talk about, you're like, that lights me up, it's a good indicator. Two would be your burden. That's when you see what's broken in the world. You say, if we fixed this, oh my gosh, we just need lost people to be found. The church just needs to get back out in the street. If that's firing you up, that would be an indicator. The third one would be it's a place of recognized strength. Everybody looks, and I'm going to give you a list of eight things that are generally true, and you're going to find that person nudging you next to you going, that's you. That would be a strength. The fourth would be a need. I want to remind all of us that if you walk in any room and be like, gosh, it'd be great if somebody bring light into this dark place. Yes, it would, Margo, right? It's you. And the last question we're always going to ask is the question of health. Am I at a place where I'm actually healthy before the Lord to pour this out, or will I be pouring out a polluted stream? That said, I want to give some indicators. You're strong in evangelistic grace. These may or may not all be true for you. It's just as you look at evangelistic people, these are, these are general, generalities, right, that, that tend to be true. So here they are. You might see yourself in them. Number one, you walk with a missionary mindset. Positioning your time, your finances, and if possible, even your place of residence to live among the people you feel called to reach. You want to live right in the heart of your community. Number two, you love meeting new people and you love hearing their stories. You know how to engage with others in a way that is both natural and interested. Two stories come to my mind. One is earlier this year we had our park day to celebrate being together as Overflow Church, four years together as a church. I came, and, and for me, as a teacher, I'm thinking about all the details. So I'm there going like, did everybody get parked, and do we have enough parking places? And Okay, those people are new, and have they yet talked to this people? Let, let me just say it this way, to be real honest with you. It was a super stressful morning. I did not enjoy it. 
Because I was just for all of you going, okay, is somebody talking to the new prayer? Okay, that's going, ha, ha, ha. And I look over, and Pastor Aaron's got a blanket. She's walking, and she's like, whoosh, and puts it down and sits down to these people. It's their first time there. And she sits like a kid at Disney World. She's like, so, tell me everything. <laughs> and I was like, that is evangelistic grace. Yes. And I'm like, if you could get up, Aaron, you could help me make sure the cars are getting parked. Evangelistic grace. The second picture I see of this is what my dear friend and our youth pastor, Brenda, says all the time. She says, when you walk, it's very important that when you talk to people that you are more interested than interesting. That you walk in and you say, you know what, I'm going to be more interested in you than worried about me being interesting. That's evangelistic grace. You know people, you want to know their stories. Third one is this. You can naturally relate people's stories to your own story and to the gospel story, showing them um, who and where God is at work in their life. Number four, you see every conversation is an opportunity for greater hope, freedom, and life, and you are actively looking for God to open a door of opportunity. Number five, you have deep compassion for the disenfranchised, the overlooked, the misunderstood, the forgotten, and you take intentional steps to show God's love to them. You look in your life and say, I spend my life with these people. Number six, you love your community, and you're active to build relationships everywhere you go. You know your neighbors, and you know the cashiers at your grocery store. You intentionally pick places to go to build relationships, and it's not another thing. It's just natural. It pours out of you. Number seven, you can't help but talk about Jesus and testimonies of what he has and is doing in your life make their way into conversation without much effort. And number eight, you've personally led others to place their faith. And Jesus. Those are some indicators that evangelistic grace is in you. So I need to ask this in the room. How many would say that you believe evangelistic grace is one of those things that fires you up that you say, man, that, that is something. That's the way I see the world. I just want to see. Show of hands. <laughs> evangelists are loud. Yep. Okay. Just hold them up. Be proud, evangelists. Be proud. Be proud. Evangelistic grace. All right. Yes. Thank you. So listen, I want to say this to you who raised your hand and those around the room that say, hey, I think that's climbing in my life. Okay. I've got four warnings for you. Because we've got to ask the question, what are the misuses and abuses of evangelistic grace? If that's strong in your life, what do you need to look out for? By the way, I'm not picking on you. We've done this for all five graces. We all have them. Number one, the first warning I want to give you is a warning of pride. It's of thinking that evangelism is the full and real gospel. And in your heart, looking down on and belittling other believers who are in other expressions as not as sold out. And this is really subtle because it won't normally come out of your mouth. But when you watch people that want to care for the family and make it real safe, when you watch people that want to counsel, when you watch people that want to just sit and worship, when you watch people that want to teach the depths and you're just saying, we've got to share our faith, we've got to share our faith, we've got to share our faith, there can be a tendency to think, I'm the real radical one. I'm the one that's really running into the dark places. And to look and talk a lot about the church and how the church is missing it. This is subtle, but especially as testimonies start to come in, when you walk in the room, man, you got testimonies of, of dark to light. And so what happens is we don't often help you as the church because we come and we applaud those stories. And sometimes we may say to you that you've arrived at a place that is above the rest of us. Second warning I would give us is this. Second warning for evangelistic people would be treating people like a project. We must be motivated by love and led by the Holy Spirit otherwise we will make our pursuit of somebody else's freedom about us. It'll be about another notch in our belt. Look what I did for Jesus. Look what a difference I'm making. Look, oh my gosh, man, how the world needs me and just how I'm representing hope everywhere. Look at all the awesome things that I'm doing. And once again, we don't say it. If you're not leaning on the Holy Spirit, what you'll find as an evangelistic person is you will open your mouth and start preaching where the Father called you just to be present. You'll give up on a long road and settle for a presentation. You'll get in and think, I just got to get through the information instead of leaning in and saying, no, maybe the Lord's calling me to a long-term relationship. Maybe there's nothing to preach today. Maybe today I just need to be safe. Maybe today I just need to be the face of Jesus. Maybe today I just need to hug them. See, if, if we're not careful in this, we can make the people that we're trying to reach with the gospel feel like a potential client in a spiritual pyramid scheme. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced somebody start talking to you and you're like, oh my gosh, you're just trying to sign me up for your Jesus club. 
And I got to tell you, the taste of agenda in your mouth masquerading as love leaves a bitter aftertaste. Wow. Right? When we see people that walk with agenda and they're masquerading as love, it's bitter every time, isn't it? We've got to make sure that we value Jesus' perspective over our presentation. We've got to come in and say, Jesus, show me how you see this person and let, let me be moved not by my faithfulness and my obedience, but your heart for this individual. I can never treat them like they're another notch in the belt to be achieved. We've got to watch that we don't treat people like a project, but listen, let me give you a third warning. Evangelistic people, my third warning to you is you've got to watch living like you're a project. What do I mean? I mean making your relationship with Jesus about what you do for him instead of who you are in him. Living your life for the difference you're going to make in the world instead of overflowing naturally from the wonder of the difference Jesus is making in you as you just breathe as his beloved child. There's a difference. It's making evangelism your running effort instead of the outflow of intimacy with God. And I want to say this for you. It is easy for highly motivated people to find our worth in our performance. And we as the church have had a habit of burning out our most passionate voices because we're so inspired by their stories, we send the wrong message that that's what makes them great. I need to say something in the room today. Every eye on me. You are as loved by God as you will ever be right now. What do I mean? You have the maximum amount of his gaze, of his favor, of his love, of his grace. You have it all right now. Not for anything you could ever do for him. He just loves you because he is love. There's no condition to the performance. We have to let fruit in our life be the byproduct of resting in the vine and not striving to be significant. Final warning I want to give you. And then we're going to talk about how we plug this thing in. The final warning for highly evangelistic people is impatience and offense with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This last one, I've got to tell you, is big. If you're an evangelistic grace person, you are urgent and passionate about everything. You are ready to go and plant and go. But when you belong to a diverse family, what you're going to find is some of your family is wanting the family to be safe. They're wanting to stop and counsel and help from church hurt and offense. That's the shepherding grace. You're going to find that other people in your family want to build deep roots. They want to get teaching so that we're not blown to and fro by the winds of doctrine. That's the teaching grace. You find some just want to sit at the Father's feet for long periods of time to be refreshed and know again that we're loved by him, which is the prophetic grace. And all the while you're burning to see souls come home. And it can be easy to get discouraged and make bad agreements about the body of Christ. Well, they just don't want it like we want it, the evangelistic people. It can be easy to relinquish your place to inspire the body to courage and instead get angsty and judgmental. I just want to be really frank. A lot of evangelists, a lot of evangelistic grace people have left the active body of Christ because they came and found that the pace was not running quickly or radically enough. And by the way, they were right, but they put a period on the end of a sentence that God wanted to put a comma. We are not running as fast as we should, period. When God wanted, we are not running as fast as we should, comma. And that's why I called you in the body with evangelistic grace, period. It's very important. If you have high evangelistic grace, you need to watch the unity of the saints and staying in the body. You have to protect yourself against any form of thinking, I'm carrying the real thing, and we desperately need you not to give up. Don't misread the, the Todd, right? I'll tell them, Todd and Margo, that was brilliantly beautiful. When you're in that place where somebody's like, I'm not going, I'm not going, please, evangelistic grace people, don't give up on us. Don't give up. I'm going to end in just a minute and tell you a story of how that's happening right now in my own hometown with my missional community. First, what I want to do is just get real practical for a second. I want to ask this question. How do we equip this grace at overflow? Some of you raised your hand. You're like, yes, that's me. Yes, I want to go. How do I get on the track? Well, we've been talking about this five-fold leadership. And if we can pull up that chart real quick, I want you to see that the evangelists that we have that are here, we've got Pastor Aaron, Pastor Mickey, and Pastor Brenda walk as evangelists. If you notice, of all of our fivefold, we have the most here in evangelistic grace. Can I just ask a question right now? If you're part of the body, do you receive the leadership and the anointing of Pastor Aaron, Pastor Mickey, and Pastor Brenda? Do you receive their anointing to lead us? 
So here's how we operate together. As a church, we do three things. We have a corporate expression in worship. That's where we come together on Sunday mornings or any time we bring the whole body together. That's the corporate expression. Then we have missional communities where we desperately want you to plug into family and find your place to belong. But just those two aren't it. We also have support ministries. That's things that don't happen just through Sunday morning in a missional community. It's kind of the muscles and the sinews that come around to make the body strong. And so when you look at all three, here's how it works with evangelistic grace. When you come in corporate worship on Sunday morning, you can look right here on the wall and see our vision. It says, we live to receive and release God's love to everyone, everywhere. That's a pretty stinking evangelistic mission, that we're going to everyone, everywhere. And so what you're going to find, every time I call for you to stand, put your hand on your heart, we're going to call you to health, but then we're going to call you to move, aren't we? It's, it's an evangelistic anointing to call us out to Brandon in the Bay and beyond. But we're also starting times. That's why we made such a big deal of it this morning, and I don't want it to get lost in the calendar. We're starting times to call the whole body together, like next Sunday, right after. Next Sunday, I'm so excited, we've got two things happening. One, I've got a dear friend of mine, George Wood, who is the tattooed pastor. He works in inner city Tampa in an evangelistic mission where he's been helping people recover from addiction because it's been some 20, 30 years ago, God set him free radically from addiction. He started the Timothy Initiative in Tampa, has since handed that off and now leads the Sober Truth Project. Amazing man of God that's coming to share his story as well as a book that he has on recovery and restoration called The Uncovery. That's gonna be next Sunday morning here at 10. And then right after that, We're walking into an evangelistic equipping. So you say, how do I grow in evangelistic grace? I'm going to say, you need to be here on Sunday mornings because if you're not here, then we're missing the glory that you bring and you're missing the equipping that we need to bring together. So come to things like that evangelistic equipping. The second, I'm going to tell you, you desperately need to be, and I'm going to come to the other side over here, involved in our support ministries. Evangelistic people, I want you to know there are support ministries that we have as a church that are all about stirring evangelism. One would be, we've got local mission partnerships. And this is so cool because our missional communities are the ones that are fueling these things. We've got partnerships with Adore of Hope, which my dear friends Josh and Courtney Lambert lead there. We've got Choices, LL, Go So Free, the Afghan Refugee Ministry, Twin Creeks, the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. And so all of those, when you see local mission partnerships there on the bottom corner, those are all things that you could get plugged in and involved in through just being plugged into one of those missional communities. Second, we've got, if you see on that screen there, our hospitality ministry. Javier and Lisa have done an amazing job for years now leading our hospitality ministry, making people feel welcome so that we can be the face of Jesus when somebody walks onto our property for the first time. We've got our digital outreach that Courtney Lambert, under Pastor Aaron's leadership, leads and has built a beautiful team there. So all the things that you're seeing about our vision getting out digitally every week is because of what they're doing. And then we've got our building and grounds ministry, which shout out to the men here. We've got a work day coming up very soon. But Tom Meir and Pastor Mickey that have been working together on building and grounds are looking to grow that right now. So how do you get more plugged in? Step into these ministries where we're actually trying to get good news out. The last thing I'm going to say is this. You need to be plugged into a missional community. And so those of you who raised your hand, just real quick, one more time, I want to say if, if you at any point in the message have said, yep, I think the one that's burning in me right now is evangelistic grace, and I need to either walk stronger in that or that feels like my default. Can you just lift up your hand real quick? I promise I'm not going to make you stand up. Very good. Some of the hands are a little lower than they were last time. Okay, very good. Very good. I, wanted, I want to encourage you, please, plug into a missional community and make sure that your missional community leader knows you, you just say, this burns in me. I'd be very excited about seeing that happen. And I want to show you right now, Pastor Mickey and Pastor Aaron have a very quick five-minute, five-fold video to show you exactly how to do that. If you have evangelistic grace, this is what we need you to do in the body. And then I'm going to close this with a story. Take a look at this video. And gather. This defines that evangelistic grace. So you're a gatherer of people, which means that whether you're at the grocery store and you and you are just meeting somebody for the first time and you may never see them again, or you've got a neighbor that you've lived next to for years and you have no intention of moving and neither do they, you are one who is gathering them in. You're being spirit-led and spirit-filled to do that work. And you're also igniting it in others. Yes, and so in your missional community, the people that you see all the time, you're also equipping them on how to live on mission and, and meet tangible needs in Brandon, the Bay, and beyond. You probably do it naturally, and so that grace gift 
has to be equipped in them, and that's really the intention uh, of what you are doing in missional community. So you're constantly asking questions like, how can I personally ignite faith of those in my missional community? What does that look like? How can I, um, you know, fan the flame that's in them already? You know, and what specific tangible need are we meeting? So as an example, maybe it's uh, kids for fosters with Door of Hope where you're, you're collecting shoes um, for foster kids. Or another good example is whenever we, the um, Fine Arts Missional Community uh, did the Annie play at the uh, Twin Creeks uh, retirement community. Yeah, you're bringing that faith and the gathering of people out into the community and makes it look different between what what makes the difference between are we just a community um, resource center or are we a church that's igniting faith in people with our tangible needs so healthy MCs when you're walking in this grace um, what it will look like from week to week is that you're gonna hear a lot of testimonies because you're out in the community you're you're igniting faith in other people so you're gonna have some testimonies to come back and share and there's going to be tangible um, fruit also. So kids will be wearing shoes. You would know that as a tangible need being met. Yeah. And you're going to have a lot of new or not yet believers joining your group. And by a lot, that term is a little bit ambiguous. But you'll sense that it's time to grow. It's time to multiply because you're constantly gathering people in. And specifically new and not yet believers. And so how can you help your group throughout the week? So you're going to equip your MC throughout the week with different challenges um, or maybe verses, right? So for I'm not ashamed of the gospel um, is a great one that helps ignite faith, especially when we have some fear going in. That's one example of a way that you would encourage. Yeah, or if you had a challenge, it would be like, uh, we want everybody to share your faith today and post in the group text on how we did. Yeah. And you're also coming to our equipping event. So we have an evangelistic equipping event a few times a year, and more on that on our website. And then whenever you have your MC gathering, what are some ways to equip the people whenever you're having a gathering? Whenever you're having your gathering, you probably um, will want to really make space for that testimony time and, and help them identify when every single person has a need that Jesus can meet. And so igniting faith in a person means that I'm going to help you see how Jesus can and will do what he said he will do and help you grow in your faith. Yeah, another way you could equip is take some time and have each person kind of uh, work through their faith, um, sharing their testimony, sharing their faith and how they do it in different situations if it's if you only have a short time or if you have you know a few minutes to do that yeah and really encouraging people to walk and step out in faith is the job of an evangelistic grace leader if you have any questions mickey and i are super excited to talk to you about go. Thank you, Pastor Mickey and Aaron. Well, listen, I want to I close and make this very, uh, move it from the theoretical to the practical. I want to tell you what's happening right now in my missional community. So we are in a missional community that meets at our house under the leadership of Pastor Josh and Pastor Brenda, who lead our group. We're members there in that group, and we're just the hosts, so we have it there. We've lived in our dream home now coming on three years, and we have tried to meet our neighbors, but you know in the time post-pandemic, that has become a more difficult thing. So there's a few of our neighbors that we know. It burns in my heart. I live a very busy lifestyle, and there's just been lots of waving, right? There's a few of them that I've talked to that have been on my heart, and it's been burning in me to say, gosh, Lord, I want to take the next step. And I've got to be honest with you. The first grace for me is not evangelistic by a long shot. But we had our missional community come, and we didn't have any agenda. This is what happened. Our kids just started playing out front before, just to be a family. So kids and then the adults would come out, and we're throwing the football while dinner's finishing cooking, and we're there. And one day, Pastor Brenda, standing there, because she is an evangelist, is watching the dirt road where I live. And she says, I counted like 15 people that came by on golf carts, right, as we went there. You've got a lot of neighbors that are out here just really paying attention. So she shares this that night with the group. And then all of a sudden, somebody has the idea, and they said, well, we should do something. 
to be able to kind of meet all the neighbors. And, and Josh and Brenda shared how at their house they had set out some tables and done like a Taco Tuesday thing. And they said, we're not trying to push the gospel and people are trying to build relationship. We're trying to be people of peace. And so they start thinking. And now I'm watching people that you wouldn't have thought of come up, well, it could be this and it could be that. And I was like, that's pretty cool, right? And we've been in rooms where dreams start to come. And I thought that was it. But what I found out was when you walk in missional community, it's not just that meeting. You become family with these people. So throughout the week, that seed that Josh and Brenda planted kept stirring and percolating in our missional community members, and other conversations started taking place. And here's the way it happened from my vantage point. I show back up the next week, you know, at home. I'm always on time to my missional community because it's my house. And I'm just there throwing a football outside when all of a sudden Caitlin shows up and she has these flyers that have been made that are beautiful. And Caitlin comes and she says, hey, well, we've all been talking and we're going to go. And it took me a minute to even figure out what was happening. They said, oh, we had some conversations throughout the week and had this idea that we could do like a pumpkin painting. It's the fall, like a fun thing. We saw lots of kids there. Maybe we just do that. And I'm shocked because I watch all the kids throw down what they're doing. And they're like, can we go give out the flyers? And Pastor Brenda gives a real quick word. She says, hey, listen, we're not going and being preachy. We're not trying to shove the gospel down. Anybody. We're just coming as people of peace. We're inviting people. We don't want to invade their personal space. So they run. And now here's the deal. Like a few of us who stayed back to kind of watch the fort, like they were gone a long time. I was getting hungry and a little offended. And <laughs> they come back and they said, you're not going to believe it. And it's the kids talking. They're like, we gave out 13 flyers to 13 different families that are here, and they say they're coming. There's one family that we met that had little kids, and they're like, oh, my gosh, the parents lit up. They're like, we've been wanting to meet people here, and we don't know how. We're going to be there. And then there was another one that they're like, we just moved here from Germany, and we are so excited. This will be our first American event. <laughs> We're like, what? No pressure. Um, so we go through and we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And we're getting ready to come do this. This could be this Tuesday at our house. Just yesterday at my doorstep, one of the neighbors that I've been cultivating relationship with, and again, retiree couple that we handed the flyer to, they made kind of a little joke and that was it. Listen, it has now been four or five days later. They show up at our, at our doorstep with two huge pumpkins. He said, listen, I've got a meeting. I've, I've got to actually be at a community event that I'm leading. But my wife and I just couldn't get it out of our mind what beautiful thing you're doing here for the neighborhood. And so we wanted to come and contribute some of this. And he stayed and talked. And I'm watching this thing going, oh, my gosh. My prayers for my heart for my neighbors are being answered. And it wasn't me, quote, the pastor, the holy one, coming and doing any of it. My kids are being equipped to carry the gospel. Why? Because somebody strong in evangelistic grace came in the room and gave us room to breathe. See, that's what happens. And so I want to tell those of you who raised your hands, I'm finding right now my life, my legacy, my family is changing. And I believe we're going to see eternal testimonies take place in my neighborhood. Why? Because Pastor Brenda was willing to dream and be bold as an evangelist. See, that's what happens when we walk in the grace God has given us. And so right now, for every single one of us, listen, if you walk with the Holy Spirit, there's a fire within you, contents under pressure. It's just waiting to get out from the cage. So what do we do this morning? One, we've got to choose all over again to be filled up. If you're empty, leave your empty tank there. Remember, he paid it all. Come back with Jesus as the authorized representative and get back out. But listen, we've got to change the structure of our lives. And you need people who are strong in evangelistic grace to call out courage in you because we've been called to go to all the world.